In the heart of the state of the art, at the dawn of the next stage in entertainment, you found no proscenium. indeed found no proscenium the voice of everything immersive i'm your host noah nelson this week on the show adam schwerner the artist behind your unnatural garden at descanso gardens in los angeles joins us to talk about this playful triptych of installation art botanical gardens as a canvas and more but first i've got your headlines Apple mixed reality rumors are heating up after a big article in The Information that features lots of juicy behind-the-scenes details of the development of the mixed reality hardware and why it didn't end up a strictly VR device. That one's behind a paywall, but some of those details are leaking out. Spoilers! Joni Ive is involved, and at one point they were talking about adding a video screen that would show people your facial expressions when you were wearing the device. Which is a really weird idea. But it's not all old news. New reporting from Bloomberg has the Apple board seeing the new device a week ago, suggesting that things are moving forward, and it puts all the recent meta-announcements around new hardware in a new light. Shifting IRL for a moment, 2-Bit Circus announced a merger with Alpine Acquisition Corporation, which is also acquiring two conference hotels with 739 rooms in Denver, Colorado and Stamford, Connecticut. The new hotels will be branded Revelers Resorts and feature 2-Bit's trademark Steam games, reimagined arcades, and an immersive story experience at the venue. The new company is expected to be renamed 2-Bit Entertainment Corp. I suspect we're going to have more on that later this year. And for the at-home crowd, Hunt a Killer is developing some new products, including interactive jigsaw puzzles, a YA novel, that's young adult novel for those who don't talk the lingo, and a detective's puzzle book, tackling a little more tacking a little more mainstream. These see, this is what happens when I improvise on the on the script. I, I then misread something. Tacking a little more mainstream, these new offerings won't replace their subscription mystery offerings, but aim to expand the brand's reach. I wrote offerings twice. I apologize. And those are your headlines. Okay. Program note real quick, and I'll get into this a little more on the back end. Uh, we are taking a bye week next week. I'll explain all after you get the interview and the pick of the week. Oh, yeah, pick of the week's back again. Uh, but first, No Pro is brought to you by the generous support of our Patreon backers. Our latest is Richard Ayers, who has joined at the sustaining backer level. Thank you very much, Richard. I'm always shocked and flattered when anyone does that. We are currently standing at 369 backers, which leaves us to six backers away from our next goal of 375. We were also up to $2,377 a month, uh, and we're, we're trying to get ourselves up to $2,500 a month, which will be our halfway mark from our big goal of being sustainable. Uh, yes, we remain completely community-funded, and uh, I don't know how we do all this on a shoestring. Uh, but we do, and we need your help, always. 
and yeah i'm about doing the show next week uh so that's awkward awkward but it's for good good reason uh like i said on the back end the sustaining backers of No Persinium are Ari Hurston, Chris Woolman, Eric Shamlin, Deborah Robinson, Elaine, Jay Bushman, Jerome Joseph Gentis, David Bassick, Lonnie Hanson, Mark Baltazar, Sidney Guillory, and Jan Budman. And yes, Richard Ayers is joining that set. And now let's get into this week's show. Just off the two, heading north from Glendale, you'll find the botanical oasis that is Descanso Gardens. There, artist Adam Schwerner was invited to construct a series of installations both on the garden grounds proper, the Sturt Hega Gallery, and the historic Bodie House that stands there. The result is Your Unnatural Garden, a playful take on installation art that invites participation and exploration. Schwerner produced the work with the help of Just Design, Art Mafia, and Pink Sparrow, and he joins us today to talk about the show, which will be up through January 8th. Adam, thanks for joining us. So good to be here. Thank you for having me. This is not your first large-scale installation in a botanical garden, and indeed, botanical gardens are both your day job and your side hustle, by my reckoning. How did you get started in this world? Yeah, so... I'd like to blame my parents, I think. I think when I was a kid, both my parents were artists. My father, Armand Schwerner, was a um, poet and performance artist. And my mother, Dolores Holmes Schwerner, was a performance artist, poetess, playwright, actress, tap dancer. She did all sorts of things. And I was around that all the time, their friends, all of the things that they did together. And I think for me, it really released me from the set of expectations that I think people who don't grow up in artistic families have laid upon them, that there's a way of doing things and it's the only way to do things. And there are rules. They were rule breakers. And I think I learned early on not to pay attention to some of the rules. And I think that that gave me permission. And so, you know, ever since I was a little kid, I, I, I knew I wanted to do something in public horticulture. And then as I sort of entered into the world, the professional world of horticulture and botanical gardens. I also knew that I wanted to bring art into the picture. And so I spent my life sort of creating this place that I can play in that's about art and horticulture. And and when you bring those two things together, it just kicks ass. And uh, it's, I think, this Descanso Garden uh, piece or pieces that have culminated after three years of conversation and production sort of epitomize for me the most the most closely connecting of those two things uh, in my career. What what was the initial lure to horticulture? What was about what was about plants? I think you know. I, no, I've been asked that question a thousand times. Like, why did you, as a twelve year old, know that you wanted to go into horticulture in the public realm? And I think that I think what I have to say is that both my parents were really into the environment and actually made a lot of their work happen in and about the environment. And Mm. I think somehow that imbued me with uh, a appreciation. And then they got divorced when I was 12 and before and after that, it was just chaos. And I think I found a place of sanctuary that was the out of doors and the process of making things grow and become beautiful was my meditative space. And I think there was sort of a sanctity that I was able to 
realize from the the living earth. And I think that's our sort of, I think that's what happened, although I don't remember much before I was 12, so I'm guessing here. Yeah. I and mean, we all kind of mythologize our, our childhood <laughs> yes. to one degree or another, right? Indeed. Descanso is gorgeous in and of itself. And to my shame, I hadn't been up there until going up to see your show. Yeah. And I felt very fortunate to like, uh, on, on the way out, uh, get to just experience it with like no people around at functionally about an hour before dusk when it was very cool and quiet and just the squirrels and, and the birds. Talk to me if you could a little bit about this garden in particular as a, as a canvas for work and, and sort of what it invited and, and the dialogue you got into with it. Yeah, so I'm going to give you now a little bit of a longer answer than maybe you've asked for. So, so oh, let me. This, the, welcome to this show. We do long answers, so don't <laughs> worry. I'll just okay. mute myself. That's so. great. So, so I'm a botanical garden nerd, right? And so I have, I've been part of the American Public Gardens Association for decades. It's a, it's a, you know, all of these, every, every it's every group of people who have interest in something. There's a. There's a collection of people that are part of an association associated with that thing. So, and so I have, I worked at the New York Botanical Garden. I've visited hundreds, dozens of botanical gardens. I worked at uh, Chicago Park District. I managed two world-class conservatories. And for me, the, the, my, my appreciation for the, the landscape, the history, the ecology the making that exists within a botanical garden is directly connected to my relationship with Descanso Gardens and therefore my relationship to making things for Descanso Gardens. And it is, I think, this, this, so botanical gardens are these beautiful things, but they're all somehow fake, right? Mm. There's not, it's not real nature, it's nature, but it's not real nature. It's, right. it's a produced nature. And there is a way that I like in this exhibition to sort of call attention to the real fakeness or the fake realness. And there's also a way that I'm sort of challenging, at least in my head, if in no one else's, this idea that there's a pristine thing that a botanical garden is, that it is in itself a pureness and a, um, a thing that is unaltered by us, humankind. And I think that that I am always a little bit when I work in art making in a public space, tweaking against that set of rulemaking and expectations. So Disconso for me is that plus I'm I'm friends with the executive director Julian Rook and Julian Rook and her team and the place is um, she's really trying to make the Disconso Gardens become a place that is for everybody in every way. And botanical gardens do, like museums, like operas, like galleries, have a, there's a worldview about them that they're a place for some people, but not other people. Yeah. And I think Julianne is not interested in that rubric and she wants to confront that. And I'm really interested in confront, confronting that. And the intent of this exhibition was to say everyone who wants to do something can do something. There isn't, there isn't anyone who cannot. You're all invited. And I think the, so the site, the specific specificity of the site 
is I think a lot about the intent of the of Disconso and the institution to to become a place for everyone. And and it feels like some of the playfulness of the piece because the the work that's in the Sturt Hager Gallery in particular is interactive. Um, yes. Like this invitation to touch and to kind of mess around with things that feels like that's part of what you're doing here. Yes. It's well, so there's a whole bunch of things there. So I'm, I'm not sure if it would, if fun would have been such an important thing for me before, you know, three years ago we had political chaos with Trump in office and everything that devolved from that. We had then following up on that, um, murder in Minneapolis's streets. And then after that, we had COVID, right? So it felt to me like there was a lot of heavy going on. And I think I really wanted to find a way to make a place where people could enter into play or enter into an experience that wasn't about heavy, that was about about an experience that they could participate in and also to some degree have places for people to actually be together and connect. Because I think the last three years has been a lot of us not connecting for various reasons. And I just have this almost physical need, particularly when I was in lockdown, right, to, to, to be with people. I mean, my life has been about collaboration and engaging with teams and the public. And that it was just not available. And so I think what one of the things that drove that idea of, of sort of a little bit of playfulness, a little bit of focus on sort of uh, prettiness uh, is driven by that. You just mentioned working with teams and I, and I, I want to give you a chance here to, to shout out some of the folks you've been working because you, you put together a, a really nifty, you know, group of collaborators, like working at a bunch of different scales here. Yeah, so it all started in conversations with Julianne and and the team at Disconso, but my my friend and collaborator um, Quinn Quinn Messenger, who I've known for I don't know eight or nine years or something like that, he's an architect, and we do this thing where we work collaboratively on his projects and my projects, and we've we've found a way to really bolster and support one another and question one another when an idea that we're settling on isn't quite brave enough or intelligent enough. So Quinn Messenger sort of started this all with me. And then Kaylee Atchison and, and uh, Claire McCracken from Art Mafia were sort of at the heart of making the ideas become become real, really, by, by being sort of production, um, being sort of in charge of the production. And then uh, Pink Sparrow, remarkable group of folks, in, including Anna Moulton, um, th- they constantly had to tell me, tell me exactly what you want so I can give you exactly what you're asking for. And I kept saying, no, I, I don't want to tell you exactly what I want. What I want is to collaborate with you because you are aesthetes and you're experts in how to craft things. And I want you to partner with me. And so it was a really interesting tussle, I think, particularly with Pink Sparrow, because they're used to clients who want exactly A and they get exactly A. And I wanted a or it could have been D or C. <laughs> right. And they so kind of come from was, like the, the marketing installation world. They do a lot of, you know, big, you know, scale pop-up stuff from, from what they I do. understand. Exactly. And, and, you know, working with their team of about 20 over about three months, 
we produced big things and little things and things that had lots of detail, but we had to make it together. And uh, so, yeah, great, great team. Very happy to have learned and, and become part of that creative family. What you made is built out of recovered and recycled material. Why was that key for you as as part of this particular show? So I'm going to go back to my childhood. So my not father... again, darn it, Adam. Why has <laughs> yes, everything gone? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's it is just it is just what it is, right? So when I was a kid, my father bought two acres of land, two and a half acres of land in East Hampton, Long Island, when it was, I don't know, $600 an acre or something, $2,000 an acre, just way long time ago. Yeah. I know. I know. I'm going to calm so down. So before yeah. it was the place yeah. where the literati go, right? And right? So we would go there and we had a summer house he built, um, you know, a little thing made out of thin boards and it was, you know, it was a great place to, to, to step off of. But we would go to the dump because that's what you did in East Hampton with your trash. You brought it to the dump. And there was great stuff in the dump and we used to take it. And I loved the idea of the energy and the history and the sort of tactility that resulted from ownership of things that were no longer owned by the people who had them once. And so there's a, there's a line through my creative process that really enjoys like Joseph Cornell does or did or, or many other, I mean, there are many people, Louis Nevelson. I mean, a lot of people gather things that were belonging at one point to someone else, and then they bring that history and that tactility into their work. So I love that. I love that. And so there's this, there's this place where people bring their garbage in Irvine called Tierra Verde Incorporated. And I had been going there for a couple of years. There were, um, Anything that anyone throws out, it can end up there. So kitchens, entire kitchens, everything in it. Bedrooms, restaurants, everything in the restaurant. Um, garbage that you'd come from that would be resulting from landscape services. Entire, entire, um, the rooms that people rent to store stuff. When people don't pay the rent, then it comes over here and it gets dumped there. And then there's also all the waste from the manufacturing wing of uh, cabinet making and furniture making and house building and all of that stuff comes there. And so I saw these tremendously, I found them beautiful piles of spent wood waste that were 30 feet tall and 60 feet around and 200 or 300 bicycles and entire kitchens. And I thought there are beautiful materials. I want to do something with them. And 30-yard dumpsters of colorful electrical wire that was to be recycled for the copper. So the stuff, the, the, the idea for the exhibition actually started with the stuff mm. because it was free, it was in abundant supply, and it could help make big things happen. And I've, I've learned for over my many years that you need in, in a landscape that has got big things in it and big space, you need really big things. So it can't be expensive. So that's sort of why that's how the origin of the used stuff happened. Well, and it also feels it also feels like it is in dialogue with the, you know, manicured natural parts of the garden, right? This uh, this this sort of life cycle of 
here we are, we're humans, we shape the natural world, we create this refuse that is sort of the unnatural world you know, from a certain point of view. And here it can be put back into the context of the natural world, like sort of completing a circuit. It's that, but it's also sort of a confrontation between the natural world and these things that are now actually become man-made or person-made, human-made. And that's why that's also why the bright colors are important. It's sort of this juxtaposition and contrast and argument between the natural and, and the non-natural. And, and then there is also the fact, I mean, let's just be honest, we are a very wasteful species, at least in the Western world. And, you know, when I go into uh, Tierra Verde and I see a pile of bikes that are perfectly operational, except for maybe a flat or a brake pad that needs to be replaced. And, and you just think about the waste and the people who could take advantage of that as a mode of, of transportation or entire kitchens or entire restaurants of chairs and tables. Like that's just, that's, it, it, it seems absolutely unacceptable. And I kind of want to call attention to the fact that there's this waste happening and that we collectively could use it in another way. Uh, I mean, I think, again, Tierra Verde is a great way of resolving. It doesn't go to the landfill, right? It gets recycled. Yeah. But anyway, so that's also part of the commentary. Your day job is um, doing horticulture, well, running horticulture at Disneyland. Um, and, and we were talking before uh, about sort of your path into this, into, into the botanical world and, and sort of how your your, your day job uh, influences your 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 work here with with these pieces. What kind of lessons do you learn about you know particularly large scale audiences? You know, working at you know you know one of the the, the most trafficked spaces on the planet. <laughs> yeah. So I'm the director of horticulture and resort enhancement for the resort, and so. Within that title is the team that manages the landscape, yes, but also the team that that manages the paint and the carpentry and the hardscape and all of the props and all of the decor and the holiday overlays. And so it's, it's a very, it's an amazing, it's an amazing team. And I feel very privileged to be able to work with everyone and learn with everyone. But I think for me, when I started, at Disneyland eight years ago, I, w- I came from Chicago. I would, had been there for 20 years managing about 10,000 acres of landscape. And I, I hadn't understood up to that point that landscape is about and can tell stories. And so when I got to Disneyland, what the Imagineers do, what the Walt Disney Imagineers do is they tell stories through landscape and hardscape and paving and colors and props. And so it's all about everything supports the storytelling for the guest so that we we can we we convey the idea that people have gone someplace right when they're in a an attraction or in a land and so i learned about landscape and storytelling in a way that i hadn't before and i think from that also gets this idea that everything can be part of tell, telling the story and it has influenced i think this exhibition uh some some amount because the things that i did were based on stories either in my head or derived from the garden that I wouldn't necessarily have done in as uh, succinct a way or been able to do that as well as I have become able to do because of the experience with that practice. 
I don't. It, it, I feel like it all really comes together. Like I was so impressed by just there. There are these three major sections: the the um, snakeways leading up to the gallery and the house, and the gallery and the house each have their own identity. But there's there is just this sense of playfulness. There's there's kind of almost like a it wants to be in kind of a ritual, almost going up the way. Uh, setting mood and mindset, and then you, the, e- each of the three pieces inside the gallery are are distinct, but play with the senses and kind of invite exploration. Uh, it, you know, feedback information to you in ways that you're not expecting. I'm being vague there to not spoil certain surprises. Just so everyone knows why I'm talking <laughs> around something. I want yeah. people to be delighted and surprised. And then, um, and then the house is kind of just like got this like anarchic thing going on with, you know, like couches having like springs coming out of them and everything just sort of going, going wild. And, and, and as distinct and, and odd and, and kind of juxtaposed as everything is, it winds up being all of a piece. And I just, uh, it's really exciting to have this kind of work happening in Los Angeles and be happening at this sort of scale. So congratulations. And um, I'm glad it's there. Thank you. No, I mean, I think, when one is doing a thing, when one is planning a thing, one does not know if that will happen. One can hope. And I think for me, it wasn't until it was happening and, and these, these two women walked past one of the snakeways next to the entrance and they looked at it and they were talking. I said, well, what do you think? And they said, well, they're angels. They're the most beautiful angels. And I said, what do you mean? Well, they look like angels to us, and and my my niece just died, and she and and this this is my angel, and I've named this piece after my my niece, and so the the way that people bring their own meaning to these things, you know, you can never picture that in advance. It just either does or doesn't happen, and that has happened, and that's been really gratifying because I don't want to impose my interpretation of the things that I've done on people. I want them to be able to bring to it what they want. Some of that will be absolute disinterest. I mean, there are people who are not at all interested and other people who are really um, inspired or engaged or, or made happy or, or made even sad in, in, in this, in this case that we had tears, right? So uh, I, I'm glad that you, you felt that it connected it and it is a, of a piece and, and that for you. And I think, I'm hoping for others that that is an experience that people can have. So thank you for that. Welcome. Well, hopefully uh, those who are in the Los Angeles area, they can they can discover for themselves. Uh, Your Unnatural Garden will be up through the rest of this year, uh, all the way to January 8th up there at Descanso Gardens, and it is well worth the trip. Adam, thanks for joining us on the show this week. Thanks very much for having me. I appreciate it. Hi, this is Catherine Yu, the executive editor of Novercinium. Each week, we publish our review rundown and gather our review crew for a podcast where we check in with what they're buzzing about. But it is here and only here where we reveal the pick of the week. This week, our pick of the week is brought to you by... Hi there, this is Patrick McLean, the Chicago curator. Well, Patrick, what is this week's pick of the week? It is Lost Recipes, 
by Shell Games. This is a VR experience that is available on the Quest, and it is $14.99. So, available now. Yes. What makes Lost Recipes the pick of the week? Two very specific reasons. One, I think this is a highly original experience where you are traveling back in time to learn and prepare culturally important recipes as taught to you by those with Greek, Chinese, and Mayan ancestries. And whether it's learning to prepare food that you could actually later get the recipe up the website and do yourself, or just simply learning like fascinating pieces of historical information, this just makes for a really wonderful time. I think the biggest shocking thing for me was that it is such a slow paced game in the best possible way that you have to be mindful in regards to not necessarily the tactile sense of how you hold like a knife and an onion to cut it, but just being mindful to make sure you're chopping it correctly, whether you need slices or you need to dice it and making sure you're taking the time and being mindful to keep the fire raging to keep whatever liquid you have on the oven or flat surface to keep it burning. There's such a beautiful attention to detail to make sure that you are being mindful of what's going on as you prepare these wonderfully culturally significant dishes. While then at the same time, the other thing I really like is that there's a chef in the kitchen with you who's kind of helping guide you through it. But in those, maybe those downtime moments where you're waiting for something to finish boiling to the correct temperature, the chef will give you a little piece of historical information, whether it's being about maybe a monument you can see outside the window, or maybe the significance of why this recipe is being made and the importance it is to the people who, you know, originated it and created it. So it's a really wonderful time in regards to just simply being mindful of the world you're around and learning something, which I feel is something that doesn't happen all that much with VR games, or that's not the top priority. It's just simply to have a good time, relax, and maybe learn something, whether it's history or a new recipe that you could make in your own kitchen. Fantastic. That sounds so great. I love Lost Recipes as well. Thank you so much, Patrick. And don't forget, you can find the review rundown at nopresenium.com and this week's Review Crew podcast just one click back in your podcast feed. Once again, I want to thank Adam for being our guest. I want to thank Catherine and Patrick for bringing us the pick of the week. And yes, if you're in Los Angeles, do go up to Descanso Gardens. In fact, uh, if you're in LA, you know, hit up a forest for the trees, hit up Descanso. You're going to make a good day of it. Heck, if you're traveling in, I think that's a, that's a great weekend there. Uh, in fact, uh, maybe at some point, you know, uh, I really like Descanso. I don't know if you can tell anything. <laughs> I was like completely charmed. So, um, I don't know. Maybe we'll do a little meetup. Maybe a little meetup in Descanso Gardens. You know, uh, you know what could go wrong? Wait a second. Why did I say that? <laughs> why did I say that? Oh, I know why I said that. Um, okay. I promised you uh, answers as to why we're taking a bye week on the podcast next week. Well, uh, the answer is, uh, my mom had a little uh, hospital scare uh, this week. 
uh, I was in uh, Pasadena uh, having uh, uh, dinner with a friend. I was in Pittsburgh, uh, a lifelong friend, uh, and got a call from my aunt because the life alert. Anyway, I'm not going to get into all the, the details, but uh, she, she was taken to the hospital. She was in the hospital for a couple of days. Uh, long story short, uh, she's she's not in any acute danger and seemingly nothing really nothing new nothing new nothing we didn't know about already uh but nevertheless um a couple of days in the hospital and uh that that took me off the board to some degree not entirely uh for the for the week uh but it's also uh there's some follow-up appointments next week and that's going to bite into work time and uh, next week's also Star Wars Celebration. I was already going to go down for Thursday because uh, uh, I couldn't resist. Because uh, you, you, you know me, I can't resist Star Wars. I try. No, I actually I don't even try. I gave up trying 30 years ago. Um, and uh, and then um, uh, and then I got to hook up uh, with a four day. So, uh, but I won't actually be there for all four days. I'm going to be there Friday and Saturday. Because I uh, know on Thursday and Saturday, because on Friday my mom's got an appointment and I got to take her to it. So there you go. More information than you 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 really probably want to know. Uh, but uh, so yeah, a little bit behind the curve. And here's the other thing. Um, there's some stuff that was meant to be done weeks ago over on the institute side of things. Uh, some stuff we were preparing for the website that I haven't had a chance to do yet. Uh, so I need to take a pause. And I need to do those things. We've got some lovely volunteers who provided us with a bunch of research material, and I need to get it up on the website. So uh, I'm I'm the choke point. I hate being the choke point. Uh, and so that's a thing I'm going to focus on in this coming week is getting that done. Uh, and that's that's on the, the development uh, side of things. Um, and there's just like, you know, got to catch up on recording for the podcast. Uh, Catherine is starting a new job soon. And gotta gotta focus on uh, setting up the way the social media feed's gonna be. We've got some stuff we're gonna try uh, to sort of spread out the responsibilities amongst everyone because Catherine's been doing the heavy lift on that for the past few years. And yeah, just lots of changes and need to take a, a pause on this part of it. Uh, but just for a week, we do this all the time. Um, this this is just I just I don't like it when it's unexpected, uh, but. Lost a couple of days, going to be losing about a day next week between between the appointments. So I just got to be realistic. I, I, I can't get a podcast out next week. Uh, the review crew may very well run. I think they've got something planned and I'm part of that process as well. So, you know, the, they deliver something to me on Wednesday. It'll, it'll be up on Thursday morning. Uh, newsletter will still hit. Every, yeah, I feel guilty. That's what it is. That's why I'm taking so long to explain this to you. It's just like I... Uh, as lazy as I am, and I know you're like, how are you lazy? Oh no, I'm lazy. As lazy as I am, uh, I do have this Puritan work ethic uh, stuck in me. Uh, it's probably one of the reasons why I'm lazy. It's just this, uh, you know, two wolves. One wants to lounge around and play Xbox, and uh, and the other wants to codify the entire universe. So um, both of them, however, like Reese's. So do not send me Reese's, Catherine. Don't send me Reese's, please. It was it was cute the one time, but I ate all of them and it 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 broke my diet. There you go, it broke my diet. <sighs> anyway, again, too much information. Um, 
I'm going to save the rest of that. Maybe any kind of ramblings for maybe I'll do in a regular. I'm always saying that. Uh, but there's, there's some, there's some good stuff going on. Yeah. You know what? I'll go do in a regular. So I'm going to shut up now and I'm going to go do in a regular. Uh, that'll be in the bonus feed. We haven't done that in ages. Let's do the credits, shall we? The associate producer of No Persinium is Parker Sella. The music for this podcast is by Chris Porter of the Speakeasy Society. Special thanks to Siobhan O'Loughlin for voicing our intro and get better, Siobhan. Um, yeah, yeah. Siobhan got the Rona. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm checking in on her every day, so uh, by text. She doesn't always tell me how she's doing, but, but I do check. She always tells me about her projects. I go like, oh, but, but how are your symptoms? And then she tells me about work. And I'm like, but how are your symptoms? I just called you out. Um, the, <laughs> Catherine is still our executive editor for a couple of weeks before she gets absorbed by the mothership. Uh, and this podcast is my fault. Um, thank you all for listening. And until next time... I'll I'll probably see you at the show.